Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Let's go places. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm trying to figure out how to break that up because I basically say the same thing. And I, I tried different inflections there, but I don't know, whatever. If you, if any of you have some suggestions on how I can change up the intro, let me know because I just, I just lock in a pattern and it's comfortable and you sit there and you do it and it's dependable. Anyways, I am your host, Ray Harkins, and we are at episode number 30, 40, 40, 40. That's where we're at. Um, the dirty, four, dirty, thir- no, dirty 30, 40s over the hill. I don't know. Not like these are actual years. These are just weeks. But um, anyways, I have a very special guest on this week. Uh, I recorded it uh, a little bit ago, but um, yeah, it, I, I was really excited about it. John Feldman. He is from the band Goldfinger. He is a platinum recording artist, and he is also a platinum recording engineer, producer, all that stuff. Um, so more about him in a minute. Propertyofzack.com. Check it out. All the latest and greatest on all of the music that you care about, all of the tours you care about. Everything you care about in regards to music will be located there. So visit propertyofzack.com. 
And um, yeah, we love our partnership with them. And uh, don't fuck around. Go visit the website. Learn some shit. Uh, and also visit the website. When I say the website, I mean the podcast's website, 100wordspodcast.com. Uh, towards the end of last year, I posted uh, top five lists from a lot of our previous guests, and uh, it's people seem to enjoy that. We got a lot of you know sort of feedback and uh, you know likes on Tumblr and reblogs and all that fun stuff. So um, yeah, check it out. I try to put up a decent amount of content each week, either recommendations, good music, good movies, whatever the case may be. Um, so yeah, check it out. And review the show. We're uh, we're getting closer to the magical hundred mark as far as hundred star reviews. Uh, so yeah, go there, spend three seconds, give it a star rating, spend a minute, and write some words about the show. Uh, I do appreciate that when people do that, and uh, I wish I could give them a digital high five, even if they're critical of it, even if they're like. You know what? I like the way that the show used to be back in the day when you had two of your friends on with you. I get that. Totally fine. I unfortunately can't do that anymore because it's pretty difficult to schedule with that many people. But um, so yeah, for the foreseeable future, this is what you get. So, uh, but I appreciate the feedback regardless. Anyways, notice how I was kind of like defensive with that. I was like, but no, this is how it is. Like you have to deal with it. I think it's just so funny. Anytime you have any sort of critique, um, you know, your mind immediately goes on the defense. And it's like, well, wait, what do you mean? Like, what? That, that's kind of fucked up. You, you don't like this? You don't like what I'm doing? And I always try to constantly remind myself, like, no, 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 no. That's just pe- someone being honest. Like, chill out. And I am chilled out. So, um Before we get into the show and the interview, a few random things that have been on my mind as of late. Um, And I can't remember where this was derived from, but, or what sparked the thought, but how none of us have a really unique experience. So that premise of, you know, okay, I look at myself personally. So here I am, white dude into hardcore music, into punk music, into independent culture. Um, I myself label my, I am straight edge myself and I label myself as such. So no drinking, no drugs, alcohol, that type of stuff. Um, I also, uh, you know, have a, have a dietary thing going on. You know, I've been vegetarian and vegan for most of my life. Um, so, you know, I definitely am a niche of a niche of a niche and, you know, you kind of drill down and obviously, the fewer people you have that put those sort of labels on themselves. Um, but, you know, when it boils down to it, it's like I, I may be unique in the sense of the term where, you know, I walk into a mall and, you know, you interview 100 people and maybe me and one other person have some of those labels. But, you know, realistically, there's a lot of people that have similar experiences to you, no matter how unique your experience is. Um, you know, it could I think I think this came from the fact that I've had a lot of people um, talking to me recently in regards to my grandmother passing away, and it just it's very strange because this holiday season, um, like death has kind of been around, which is strange because um, when I say around, I say some of my coworkers have experienced loss, um, and some of my other friends have experienced loss, and so it's kind of weird to have that all sort of in the two month period of just like, Oh wow. Like that's a lot. Um, 
but I think on the flip side of the uh, callousness of the, we have no unique experiences. Everybody's experienced the same shit that you have. So don't think that you're unique is the fact that there's common bonds. Like we obviously try to reach out to one another. Um, you know, we really, we all crave that experience of having at least one person who you could be like, you know what? I can go to them. I can, they can offer me advice, a shoulder to cry on, whatever the case may be. Um, they can be that person that's there to support me, whether it's a friend or a family member. Um, and I think for me, that always gives me some comfort where it's like, even if I don't see what I consider my close friends on a daily, weekly, or even monthly basis, it's the fact that I know I can pick up the phone, I can call them for something as stupid as a ride from the airport or something as, as, you know, monumental as like, oh, I've experienced death or someone is sick in my family or a friend of mine is sick or whatever, um, that they will be there to support me. And um, yeah, so I just, you know, kind of, because I think the way that the internet culture is, is like, even though we're all more connected, we obviously feel more distant from one, one another because we do uh, spend a lot of our times in front of a computer. Um, and we do, I think it's so funny when you run into a person who you haven't seen in a while but you obviously follow them on whatever social network they're a part of, you kind of feel like you can just step right back into it, which is cool. And I love that because there's never that sort of awkward, like, Oh, what have you been up to? Where do you work? Like, cause you know, that, um, you know, I think that for me that gets old really quick. I'm just like, I just want to get through that and like, know what you're up to. And then like, how are you doing? Like, really, how are you doing? So, um, anyways, that's been on my mind. Um, John Feldman. He's in Goldfinger. Goldfinger still performs. Goldfinger still tours. They're just smart about it. They're not out 300 and some odd days of the year. But uh, yeah, John Feldman, he, uh, everyone has always spoken so highly of him, uh, you know, and that's really difficult within the music industry to navigate all these waters, deal with so many different people and no one be like, yo, fuck that guy. He's a dick or whatever. Um, everybody that's ever worked with him that I know, um, everybody that's worked with him professionally, casually, whatever, has always said really positive things about him. So um, I do a lot of work with John in my day job. And so uh, I just, you know, casually one day in an email chain that we were shooting back and forth to one another, I said, hey, would you be interested in coming on the show? And he was like, oh, I'd love to do that, um, which was great because I don't know, I'm always, for people that I don't know really well, I'm always scared to ask them to do this show because even though it is fun and obviously gives them an opportunity to kind of express themselves in a different way, I always feel that sense of rejection. I feel like I'm like asking a girl to dance and she's like, ah, you know what? No. And it's like, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, but anyways, John was super gracious, had me over at his house and his recording studio. Um, super nice place. It's awesome to see all of the hard work that he's put in, you know, be able to pay off and be able to, you know, give a nice home to his, his family and his daughters and all that type of stuff. So, um, anyways, we covered a lot of shit. So I've talked for way too long. Here it is. John. like when obviously and being from Southern California third wave ska like I mean 
give me a break. You could not escape that in any way, shape, or form. And my own personal background is like I'm more of a punk and a hardcore kid. But um, just seeing how pervasive that was of like obviously all the shows that existed in Orange County. Um, but it was funny because like most of it, I just it just didn't appeal to me. It was just like, eh, whatever. Like because I like, dated a girl that you know we'd go to. She'd go to my hardcore shows. I would go to her ska shows. And so it's like seeing a lot of these bands that were, you know, in all honesty, just terrible in my own mind. But then what you, like what Goldfinger and what you guys did, um, there was a certain edge to it that appealed to me where it was like a little, like, oh, it's a little more quote unquote aggressive. Like, I don't know. It was just, it was something that was so interesting. And I think, um, like, I, I, I really do believe that this, that sort of movement could have not existed anywhere else in the country. Like, it, it just seemed to kind of hit everything in Southern California. Like, because I just don't, you know, that couldn't have happened in, like, Connecticut. It couldn't have happened in Florida, you know? Did you, like, did was that something that you, like, looking back on, like, would you agree with that statement, or is it, like... Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, in, in hindsight, though, I, I think our best shows... Yeah. I don't want to say best shows, but some of our greatest shows have been in the Northeast, in Connecticut. Really? In Boston, New York City. I mean, and I think that there obviously is a tie-in to, you know, there's a couple bands that I think slip between second wave and third wave, oh, third wave sure. like Fishbone and the Mighty Mighty Boston. Yep. It kind of came before what Southern California did. And because the Boston's were such a big band right. in, uh, on the East Coast, I think there was a connection that was made between what we were doing here and what they had already done. Sure. On the East Coast, but for some odd reason, like we just did a tour in June right. a few months ago, and every show was sold out, and it was all kind of Northeast. It, it, we went down, we ended in uh, Norfolk, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And, so we, and right. we started up Providence, so we kind of just did all basically the East, you know, Northeast, and sure. it, was a, it was unbelievably great. And we're talking, if we started towards the end of 93, yeah. Um, and now it's 2012, you know, we're going on, we're 19 years yeah, yeah. As, as a group. Um, and clearly like, uh, you know, we had a huge success kind of right at radio when our first album came of course. out. And then we kind of maintained it for, for, th for three albums. We did really well and it, and it was great. And then it sort of, you know, I sort of started producing and right. we didn't really continue touring to the extent that we did, but. Just to think that even though we kind of it definitely lulled, of course, we're not in the heyday of the '97 Superman Tony Hawk. No, no. <laughs> but still, to sell out this tour is is a, is a big deal. To, oh, it, for sure. To me, it, it feels like we were part of something. Yep. That um that that mattered, and it still and it still matters, and it wasn't just about well it a was, great song. Totally, it, and it wasn't. Yeah, I, I I was that was something I was going to address later on. Where uh, the idea that it's like, you know, to be able to survive, and I use that word very literally, survive having such a successful song at radio and being able to still, you know, put records out after that that are still of that sort of quality. Like, I mean, that's really difficult to do. I mean, you've seen, obviously, so many bands get chewed up in the system and it's like, you know, after one song hits where it's like, all right, where's the next one? Like, and, you know, sometimes it just doesn't happen. And then they obviously want it to be as successful as the first one, if not more. And it's just like, to be able to be where you're at right now and still play in front of people that are passionate about it shows that obviously it wasn't just this this fad, you know? That wasn't just this moment in time. Mm. And it does, I mean, this is my career. It's where right. I'm, I'm in the music business. So I think about it day in and day out. Sure. And I think about how 
like, I mean, since the internet revolution, I don't know if there's going to be another like Seattle of the early nineties, you know, right. or even like the, the pop punk thing that happened in the Bay area, you know, in the mm -hmm. mid nineties, like all, like those kind of scenes that happened yep. in a very specific area for sure of the world. I just don't know if it can, cause you know, the, the scene now is the internet and the community is the internet. So it's a global scene. Yeah. And so if one person starts something in Manchester, like someone in Lubbock, Texas can catch on the next yeah. day and, 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 and that's kind of what, what it is. And we came definitely out of a specific area scene. And, and I mean, I grew up on Southern California punk rock that yeah. wouldn't exist without the skate and the surf culture. And of I think course. the same goes for the ska punk culture of the 90s. You yep. know, it, it went hand in hand with skating and surfing. For sure. And, and it's not, you know, obviously people do surf on the east coast it's, yeah yeah it's hard you know it's harder to skate when it's snow and ice everywhere it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just it's when different. you're out of pocket for four months because you can't do anything outside yeah. exactly and, and southern california is not like that you know mm -hmm. um and, and and obviously like coming from a, like punk rock roots i mean to me um like the like the for me punk rock that changed my life started in color southern california and it's right. like i mean i love the Sex Pistols and I love the Clash and I love the Buzzcocks and they, they definitely influenced me but the stuff that made me want to play music came right. from Southern California right you know um, and I feel the same way about like the scene and, and obviously like Pennywise and No Effects were a generation ahead of us sure and they had the Epitaph and the Fat Records kind of scene and, right. and it was based in a great live show with great songs but it wasn't like on the radio it wasn't like yeah you know, oh no no for sure it was sort of like coming out of grunge it was it was the anti-grunge movement you yeah, know? yeah it yeah. was like we are alive we are here we are present right you know um and clearly all the sub genres of punk like hardcore and sky all kind of went into the scene that, that we were in and yeah. affected it but it came from the roots came from touring playing shows and working really hard it wasn't radio first and bands no, that no. i work with now like Neon Trees was just on TV, and I've worked with them, and and they, um, and they're a great live band, right? And I and, and I have nothing but amazing things to say about. It. I mean, um, Tyler's a vegan; it's yep. really great guys for sure. Um, but they kind of they came out of radio, like they had a massive hit at Radio to Animal, right? And so they're gonna they're stuck to some extent with, with that. Like, how do I write the next hit? The right. next hit? The next hit? Yeah, they have and, to play to play in that sandbox. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, and I just don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess there's warped, like the underground, where to me, most of the bands are very similar sounding. With yep. double kick drum, every song has a breakdown, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> screaming, and then as soon as they start singing, fans think they sold out. Like that, every band is kind of the same <laughs> yeah. in that what metalcore. Right, kind of whatever, whatever you like to call it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, post-screamo. <laughs> right, 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 right. And, and, uh, and so, but that scene has a ceiling. Mm -hmm. Like you can only really... So, I mean, I know I'm getting off subject, but no, I mean, no, no. just think about when I, where I came from and how, and even though, like, by third record, we were affected dramatically by the internet. Of like, course. Like, record sales were, so we were definitely affected, but we had two albums, really, like, 96 with our self-titled and yep. 97 with hang-ups. We weren't really affected, and both albums are right around gold, like 500,000. Yeah. And... I look at bands now that are starting, artists now that are starting, that don't have the ability to sell that kind of record. They don't have right. like a real foundation of a scene in their local town that they sure. can 
kind of cling on to. Right. So you've got to be so much better than I was in 93 when I started Goldfinger. <laughs> yeah. You have to be, because you have to create your own scene in right. your own town. Right. Like there's a band called 21 Pilots from Columbus, Ohio that, sure. that I was working with. And they literally created their own their own scene in their town and were selling out 2,000 seaters in Columbus. Right. And so everyone came to them. Came to them. Sure, sure. And that's kind of what you what you got to do. Where where when it was us, I mean, the, I mean the, the brief the brief history is like I'm selling shoes non on the promenade, right? And playing in my band, slip a demo tape in a shoebox to some record executive, get signed a week later, and we've been touring for a year, right? But and we've got a thing going in here, a little thing. We're opening yeah, for yeah. the Skeletons, we're opening for Buck Nine, we've got sure. a little thing, but we played one show at South by Southwest where the Booking agent for the Sex Pistols were there, and Kevin Weatherly, who um, does all the radio programming for K Rock, which is the biggest of alternative station in the in the world. Right. They were both there, and that one show ch like changed everything for us. And I guess that can still happen. Yeah. But there needs to be so many more things: Twitter followers and Facebook. Of course, and of course. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all want more time in our lives, you know, whether it's like. Dang, I wish I had like another hour to, you know, play video games or read more or get outside or whatever it is. I know myself that I actually get questions a lot in regards to this podcast. How do you fit it in your day? And like, how do you do the interviews and all that stuff to be able to then balance the rest of my life from my work and, you know, playing in a band and I have a family, all of these things. But that is why therapy is so awesome because it helps you be able to sort out your life to focus on the things that for one, really matter to you and two, try to find more time for those things that you love. That is why I love working with BetterHelp because if you need to find a therapist, they're there for you. So give them a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient for you and they can be suited to your schedule and you fill out a brief questionnaire, matches you up with your own personal therapist, and if you do not like that experience, you can switch it. No problem. No questions asked. It's great. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. It's an offer just for you, the listener of this podcast. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com there's, there's so there, you just look at it from the standpoint where there's obviously so much more input. There's so much more things that bands have to obviously maintain. Um, like you said, obviously every single social network needs to be the most important thing that you take care of. And there's obviously there was so much uh, less of that because you know there obviously wasn't that vehicle <laughs> to put forth with your band. And like there is, it's so funny because it's it's great that you can distinctly identify where it's like this show changed the way, the course of our band's life. And now, you know, these days, it's definitely more difficult to have that sort of pinpoint moment mm-hmm. to where it's like this show, you know, the, getting this out of the radio station, you know, this tour, um, it, it's, it's just more nebulous. It's more like, oh, yeah, it's kind of this gradual climb. Um, or it is something, you know, it's like obviously if you're like a YouTube phenomenon or something like that, it's much easier to identify. But um, going back, kind of like born and raised in Southern California – I grew up in Saratoga, which is uh, it's sister city to Los Gatos, which is by San Jose, Northern oh, California. Okay, sure. So I'd go every weekend to be in Santa Cruz, and that was kind of my my beach. I moved to San Diego in '85, um, mm-hmm. and then I moved to LA in '87. Okay, um, and so I've been here since '87. I was in a, I was in like a funk metal kind of. I mean, we're I love like Chili Peppers sort of rip off band sure. called the Electric Love Hogs. And, right in the in the '80s. Um, and that just, it wasn't, it just wasn't meant to be. Right. And, uh, and Goldfinger started in, in 93. Sure. And your, um, brothers and sisters? I have a sister, Margaret, that's two years younger. Okay. Um, and she's actually my first animal rights experience, you know, in, uh-huh. in high school. She was, uh, she was super animal rights. Um, and, and is this, is this still when, like when she was in high school, were you guys still up in Northern California? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, this yeah. is like. Late seventies, early eighties. Sure, <laughs> she became vegetarian when, <clears throat> God, she must have been um, in eighth, seventh, or eighth grade. Oh wow, she became vegetarian, and I mean, and that that area is definitely fertile for that sort of uh, thinking. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I, th- I think so. I mean, at the time, I wasn't really that engaged with anything outside of like my own wants and needs as of a course. high school kid. It's just like, yeah, I wasn't thinking outside my head. No, no, no. I was thinking about you know chicks and smoking weed, really. <laughs> And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she, yeah, I remember sitting at around a Thanksgiving dinner, and I was, you know, and I remember like making just making fun of her, just making sure. like saying like, "Oh, you're gonna eat." I don't even know what she was eating. I guess just straight tofu back then. Sure, of I mean course. there was no, there's nothing. No, 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 no. Yeah, no vegetarian restaurants. <laughs> no, there's, there's no Whole Foods doesn't exist. There's no concept of that. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got Safeway, so so she'll probably be in the. Um, the Asian section or like Japanese yep. food and buying a, a thing of tofu. Right, right. And then putting some different marinades on it. And that's pretty much the extent of her yeah. diet. Cold tofu and soy sauce. Yeah. And, I, and suffering. And I'm making and I'm making fun of her for her <laughs> right. fucking diet. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, but I, you know, and I, I just, you know, I had no, there's no connection. No. I had no, like, empathy or, I, had no, I just didn't connect anything. It well, was I think like, it's, it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard, especially obviously when you're in high school. Um, like, I mean, cause for me, like the whole identification with, uh, you know, like, I mean, I personally am straight edge and like, you know, like that, 
that whole world got introduced to me in high school. And like, I definitely started claiming those things before I really understood like what that meant outside mm -hmm. of, you know, my general headspace. I was just like, oh, this impacts me and this is what I want to do for myself. But you don't, you, you don't have the wherewithal to understand that it's like, you know, this is a, a larger topic at hand. Yeah. So as you, were, as you were growing up, what did your parents do as you were growing up? Um, my mom was a school teacher. She taught English in elementary school. My dad um, was a nuclear physicist. Really? Um, so definitely the smartest guy I think I've ever, I've ever met. And so he had high hopes sure. for his son to become some sort of engineer. I mean, he helped build the, the fuel that allegedly put the uh, rocket on the moon. Wow. Um, and me and him would get in long discussions about the allegedly part because he was clearly something very close to his heart about right, how right. he uh, helped design this stuff. But, um, you know, he had polio. He got polio when he was 17. So he was in a wheelchair the majority of his life, had no wow. use of his um, left arm and his right leg, you know. So it was sort of like, you know, very limiting. So there wasn't much sports, no zero sports. It was kind of like, you know, use your, you know, use your brain. Use this your is, brain, yeah. This, is, kinda this what, is the best tool you have. Exactly. So, um, and I was always, so I was never like a team sports guy and I never really found my niche or anything. I was really interested in tell, like, um, I guess it was the sound star Wars soundtrack. It was the first album I ever bought that oh, I really? said that, that I, that I actually listened and the music made me feel something. Yeah. It affected you. Know? you sure. Exactly. When I was in like, I guess fourth or fifth grade and mm -hmm. you know, I kind of, you know, I played piano play clarinet in the marching band which is pretty fucking punk and dude uh, that, i i played clarinet as well for a year and it was a terrible terrible thing I hated it. yeah <laughs> it is horrible horrific yeah um but yeah so i, I mean i i i latched on to music as soon as i kind of i mean it was queen was the first band that i got into but um, but was music like was music important in your household like were your parents you know parents were super conservative my dad would only allow we weren't allowed to watch Solid Gold, like which was the disco right, station right. and like show in the seventies. We weren't allowed to watch really anything. It was really censored. <laughs> we were a super Catholic household. Uh -huh. um, you know, I mean, when uh, they caught a Playboy in my room, and it was oh like it was a weekend of right. like, you know lectures and talks about what we do not indulge in the pleasures of the flesh till after we're married. That's the, the, the sort of discussions, you know, right, was, right. You know, conf, you know, confirmed in eighth grade. I mean, it was very religious, strict household. Sure. And they, you know, um, my so my dad definitely was not thinking that his son was going to be a guy that was going to be in a <laughs> rock and roll. Band. Was right, like right. Thing. No, for sure. You know, and um, and ultimately, you know, when I started getting into trouble in high school and I started, you know, fucking around with drugs and uh -huh. um, and punk rock shows i mean my parents took all my albums away from me ultimately you know i that can was, imagine that, was yeah. what, that, that to me that's like i mean when parents I, I think of any generation anytime obviously parents and this is something i'll ask you a little bit later but parents see their kids doing something that they don't understand uh -huh. like just more so specifically from a subculture you know where it's just like what is John doing going to all these, you know, concerts and shit? Like, they, they you know, they have no concept for that because mm -hmm. obviously they didn't do that. And so that, you can easily see why their reaction is like, oh, yeah, if we take this stuff away, he won't be interested in it anymore. <laughs> which, which clearly that worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And, and the truth is they, they, did, they did the best they could. And of course. My, my dad and I, like, I guess we were probably okay up until, you know, fourth or fifth grade because I was a really good student and, and I paid attention and I studied. And, sure. 
Um, and then, you know, something just changed. And I think adolescence and I'm not a psychologist, but my dad never mm -hmm. had an adolescence because he got polio so early in life when he was probably right when he was going through puberty, like it right. all stopped, like his whole um, nervous system got shut down because of the virus. Sure. Um, I don't think he could relate to anything. And it's, I'm sure it's hard yeah. for any parent going through ch children, of course, teenage children. But I think him especially just didn't understand. There was a different level of disconnect. Yeah. The rebellion. Because when he was going through it, he, he went to his parents for, they were everything. They, they took care of everything. They carried him. They, you know, they were his complete support network. Of course. And I, you know, when I became an adolescent, it was like my parents were the enemy. Of course. Like any other normal. Yeah, kid, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. And so they just, they couldn't grasp. And so I think I, I put, probably pushed me over the limit because they were, they were um, so strict. Yeah. And I rebelled probably harder against right. the strictness. And so now that I have kids of my own, it is, it's going to be interesting. Right. To yeah. See what kind of what happens. My kids are, are, are really mild mannered and, and I mean, compared to me, who's super high energy and, and sure. cr crazy opinionated. Right, 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 um, right. You know, we'll see what happens. But, but yeah, they were, you know, they, they were, they, they did the best they could. Right. And, and by the time I, I became a musician, they certainly were, my dad was very unsupportive, and, and now in hindsight, at the time, I didn't get like you're, you know, you explaining as an adult why they may take my albums away, thinking this may lead him away. Of course, from the danger. This is a barrier I am trying to set up in order to make this more difficult for my son, who I believe is going down the wrong path. Yeah, look, I remember um, the on Broadway in San Francisco going to see the Dead Kennedys, and I saw them play a couple times as a kid. Yeah. But um, the first time I tried to see them, I was like 12 and I had, you know, there's no hot topic. So I've got no. gelatin and egg whites <laughs> in my hair, my Liberty Spikes. Yeah. And I've got my incredible. leather jackets, my, my creepers that like I bought like third generation used right. for $30 at the time, which my mom was like, are you kidding? You know, and right. I was, you know, my, my parents are buying me clothes still. Right. And, I, you know, these blue suede creepers <laughs> that I had on. Um, with my bondage pants and I'm and they, they go to drop me off at the on Broadway and my mom gets out of the car and there's you know it's sold out Huge line outside line, sure. it's all I mean we're talking like early 80s like OG no one has seen people that look like me not the way at all. we yeah, looked yeah. No, no one right and my mom sees the line and she says you are not going to that show and my parents were going to a, um, an opera and they were going to leave me at the show <laughs> the pick most me up drastic yeah and so they made me go to the opera with them with, like that? I've got my safety pin in my ear and my Liberty Spikes and my leather jacket at the opera. That's incredible. And uh, I was, I remember just sitting there, I was just fuming. Like you could have seen the smoke coming off me. Right. Everyone's in their tuxedos. Sure. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm like as early 80s punk rock as you could get at that moment in my life. Right. Hating light. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure your parents too were just like, Way to ruin our evening, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were, yeah, they were like, yeah, they're like, you're not going in. Yeah. Man, um, and that was a historic show, you know. The, this guy, Evan, was dating my sister at the time. And okay. when, when you watch, they actually filmed it. It was something like, it was like, they were either closing the on-Broadway or something was happening where it was like a historic kind of event. In, in this video, you see my sister's boyfriend, Evan's like on stage the whole time with Jelly Biafra just to... <laughs> I mean, it's a historic show that I'm still a little bitter about, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, you're like, to be honest, I wish I could have been there instead yeah. of down the street at an opera. But if they could see, if they could have had a crystal ball and they could have seen my life and, and, and how everything has right. worked out, um, you know, clearly they, they – they, Right. But, but then again, you just, you just – you never know. You never you know, know. You take a left turn 
even driving here, if you would have taken a different turn, you just don't know how things could have been different. Of course, completely. And they, I mean, but yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. but that doesn't mean that you would have reacted differently if that was the case. If you had even just like a sliver of that knowledge, like your parents probably would have reacted the same way because that's, like you said, they did the best that they could. Um, so when you were, uh, you know, kind of a two-part question thing, uh, when you were in high school, like you were saying, you know, that's when you started to... Uh, you know, just whatever, get into music more, and obviously we're going to shows. So, like, when when was the actual like intro to sort of independent music after you obviously got the Star Wars soundtrack and that mm -hmm. started? Um, yeah, was it, was it through your older sister? No, younger sister. Younger and, sister. Um, I'm sorry. No, I definitely, um, I definitely inspired her. This guy named Chris Caton that went to my high school. He was a senior when I was a freshman, so I was oh, friends okay. with his brother Brooks. And Chris grew up in South Lake Tahoe, so he was definitely my um, my connection to that mm -hmm. whole world. He was in a band called Urban Assault. Best friends with Kevin Seconds. Um, nice. And they were the first straight edge band I'd ever heard yeah, you know, yeah. when I was a kid. And I didn't, I, I mean, as much as you maybe connected with it, I, I, didn't, I didn't understand it on any level. Well, and that, that, yeah, I think that was also, I mean, obviously it's like that, that time frame too. It's like, you know, I mean, that, that movement was still getting its sea legs, so to speak, and yeah. like understanding that, yeah. So I, I could easily see where it's just yeah. like, I don't identify with that. But the Red Album, the Minor Threat Red Album, and, 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 um, and, uh, and, and Seven Seconds definitely influenced me because it was the first music that I heard that was like like fast, fast. I heard yeah, yeah, Bad yeah. Brains, but for some reason I didn't really connect with Bad Brains because sure. I, as a singer, I wasn't like um, HR is unbelievably great, but it was like it's so he was so fast. Totally. And it was so hard for me at the time as a kid to grasp onto melodies. Right. Um, you know, and Ian had a very um, prolific way of saying what he meant. And, yep. and, and you know, as great or bad as a singer as he is he still there were still melodies that you could really sing along to right right there's a catchiness involved to it yeah, yeah but um so he grew up in seven seconds so my um so he turned me on to pretty much every every music when i was a freshman in, in, in high school and right and thrasher magazine was a huge way that i discovered music you know at all sst records frontier records all those labels southern california labels at the time would all put advertisements in thrashers so right. that's how i would find my music right and chris um, so Chris turned me on to, so he, I put, I put together my first band, Family Crisis, and he got, oh, that was your, that, that was your very first band. My very first band, Family okay. Crisis, and we were like straight up like, I mean, we were somewhere between Social Distortion and Seven Seconds, like super fast, but like okay. kind of like, a little melodic in a way, surf punk kind of, okay. yeah, very, very melodic, and, and the songs I still listen to, and I go, these are like, they're cool. like cool this songs. isn't bad, this yeah. isn't bad at all. <laughs> if I was listening to this demo, I'd be like, yeah, you know, don't, don't quit yet. You know, if I was talking to myself, but sure. So he put us on the road. So we actually went on tour and I was in high school and we went on tour with seven seconds, you know, and played shows. Oh, shows really? Religion. And I remember, you know, was this, like, was this like freshman, sophomore year? Or was freshman, this... sophomore. Wow, yeah. That's so... incredible. How'd your parents react to being like, yo, I'm going to go on the road for a little bit. Like, well, was this, I was, imagine it was in the summer I mean, Chris, probably. Chris and Brooks, the two brothers that they, I mean, they had parents that were like in the community that my, my parents would be able to talk to. So, oh. so yeah, summertime. We get in a van and go do it. do these things. But it's somewhat of a safe environment that they because these other kids in the community are being involved. Yeah, that, you know, John is John's in good hands. But this was before. Um, this was really before my parents. Um, they connected my trouble with punk rock. And, Got it. And you know, I remember like um, you know uh, Dennis and John, Dennis Daniel and John uh, Maurer from Social Distortion actually came to my house when I was a freshman. I had my little rehearsal set up like in the garage for Family Crisis. Okay. And they actually jammed like so I jammed with Social Distortion. <laughs> right. When I'm like 12 or 13 and this is like 
hugely influential of, 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 of in my life of like what I want to do and, and social distortion de of all the of all the bands that like influenced me they were the they were the number one they were the band that I saw Mike Ness and I said I want to I want to be doing that I want to be that okay I don't want to just do that right I want to be him <laughs> that's good I like that I yeah. that's funny that that because usually it's like you know there's a whatever a record or a show that where it's like I want to do that but you were you like I want to embody I mean because yeah my I mean anyone that watches another state of mind it's just like you watch what Mike Ness is and what he does, and you, I can easily see why how infectious it is to be like, yes, this is oh, it. yeah, this is it. Yeah. So they, you know, the, the guys like raided my house. My, we're in like an <laughs> upper middle class neighborhood, and they just raided the house. All took all the food. Sure. My, my parents are like, what happened? And, but they, it's not <laughs> like you they, invite over? It's not like they destroyed it like you yeah, would yeah. imagine, like an old, like an, an early '80s punk band to do. Right. I mean, they were. They just I'm, took all the food. I'm sure and. <laughs> Did yeah, all that. just took yeah. all the food and and, 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 and we jammed and it, and it was uh definitely a life changing experience like doing those shows with Seven Seconds and um and hanging out with Social Distortion definitely changed my life. But so my dilemma, my real dilemma, because like punk rock definitely changed my life, right? In so much as I found a group of people that I felt a part of. Sure, I didn't relate to my parents, I didn't relate to kids at my school, and I related to these. They, they were outcasts because I. You know, at this point, I'm starting to smoke weed. I'm starting to drink, mm -hmm. and I'm feeling like culturally and what they're saying, and just like, fuck authority, right? Fuck the government, fuck established, fuck, fuck anything that we that we are not a part of, basically. right? 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 It's right. just all about us, yeah. right? Um, but my dilemma was, uh, I, 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 I loved like I loved great melodies, and I loved like pop music, right? And at the time, you had to pick sides. That's There's true. No, yeah, there was no marriage of yeah. those two. Scenes. And it's not even right. as dramatic as Black Flag versus Ario Speedwagon. Right. It's really like <laughs> yeah. Black Flag versus Duran Duran. Sure. Like you couldn't be, you couldn't like punk rock, and like new wave. Yeah. No, and, that's true. There's so these huge lines in the huge sand. Line. Yeah, and yeah. I loved Duran Duran, and I loved Wham, and that shit at the time, like that. People were like, "That is gay." As that was fuck. the yeah. That was the plague. We are not yeah. touching that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone, that was what everyone said. This is like you cannot. That that's you know. I mean, and, and arguably they were right because George Michael, you know, <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, one of the greatest songwriters ever. Of I mean, course. regardless of his sexual orientation, right, right, incredible writer. And I wasn't like, that wasn't really what I was thinking. I mean, you Queen, just liked like, mu You just yeah. liked the music, right? He's the best singer of all time, and I'm not. I'm thinking about it for the for the music, right? And so. I'm going to like, you know, and I remember getting knocked out at suicidal tendencies. I'm in the pit at suicidal and I get this guy like just, you know, stage dives on my head. And I get knocked out. I'm on the floor. They drag me out of the pit. Right. And, um, and I, and I remember that was kind of a defining moment for me. Like after this is probably like two or three years, like really in, mm -hmm. like I've seen so many punk shows at this point, right. and I, you know, and it's my life, but I got hurt. Like I got hurt right. in the pit and I'm like, um, Man, I'm not a jock. I'm not. I don't know if I'm cut out for this sort of. I've never gotten in a fight in my life. I'm right. just this kind of clarinet. This sort of in. like aggressive nature that obviously punk embodies. You're just like, I just kind of want to. I don't want to have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like a thinking, you know, ag aggressive thinking man. I guess. You know? Right. And I definitely right. still relate to the anger and wanting to make change and and being pissed, just pissed off and having nowhere to go other sure. than at the show to take out your aggressions because you are being harassed by the right. jocks at school. And I'm sure that still exists in 2012. I'm sure there's still like the yeah. you know, the introvert versus the fucking captain of the football team. Sure, sure. Quarterback, whatever the fuck football is. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And so that for me, I remember seeing that suicidal show and 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 go, and and 
really questioning who am I? Like, really, who am I? Because I can't tell any of these people that the police are my favorite band because the police are truly the enemy mm-hmm. to, I mean, I mean, Styx is truly the enemy, but, but the police were really the enemy. If you're, sure. if, you know, at a um, GBH show. Oh, you yeah. Know, you can't like be like, oh, I think Sting's a great, you know, I just like the song. Right. He's a great musician. What? Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. That was what it was like. So <laughs> it was like, so I, I kind of rebelled against the whole thing. And I'm like, okay. you know what? Fuck it. And I remember it was the same time Beneath the Shadows came out, TSOL's third album, I guess. Oh, sure, They sure. had the EP um, yep. and then Dance With Me. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of went New Wave. New Wave, to, they for had, sure. And a lot of those bands did. Like, even yeah, yeah. Bad Religion had... Um, yeah, the, the Lost Record, they call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For I mean, sure. A lot of those bands started questioning, mm-hmm. what is it? So when people talk about the Southern California punk rock movement, it's really like their first album like you know oh for Circle sure jerks group sex or the adolescents These, yeah this album. time frame yeah exactly and that's it right but, but as much as like and when goldfinger came out um there was a this huge article in maximum rock and roll like four page article i don't know if you remember maximum rock and of roll. course I remember the print it. was so small it was so yeah yeah full pages about <sighs> why john feldman is not punk rock and really and why you know i'm doing it for the for the you know for the money or because Green Day was successful or all like whatever it was and it was so at the time it was so hurtful as he's a kid in his twenties right that like and they were right I mean they're so right that I I didn't hear group sex and say this is all I am when, right. in 1981 I didn't stick with that music until 1993 I didn't say this is all I listen to and mm-hmm. this is the only kind of music that I think is good music sure I definitely strayed from the pack for sure right and that's what they're claiming that like i was in a i was in a funk metal band like the chili peppers kind right, of right, I was talking right. about and that all this stuff that I'm, I'm not arguably i guess i'm not allowed to play or say that i'm like a punk rocker or play that kind of music right because i was in bands that played other kinds of music that's so funny it's funny that you say that because it's like now you look at uh you know, kids music tastes in general and it's like you're obviously allowed allowed quote unquote to like so many different bands and like the concept of you being you know forbidden to listen to one band because you are part of this scene you know i'm sure it still exists to some extent um like you you may be looked down upon if you listen to you know a day to remember and you like you know whatever this you know this controversial band whatever but the fact that it's like you had to make that definitive choice where it's like all right like i'm having to step away from this sort of you know punk rock movement because I, I like this other music and it's mm-hmm. like that those I I can guarantee that those choices don't exist now where it's like kids have to make that no they they don't I, I remember being at the demo I mean I still went to punk shows because I still love those bands of course and fresh fruit for rotting vegetables affected me well it was your, Just, to me it was the way that you're describing it it's it's you identified with the culture you liked the music but it was it was that feeling that feeling of rebellion that feeling of you know, this needs to be channeled somewhere. And like, I, I want to act on this, but I also want like, you know, there's other sides of my personality and my own personal preference that I need to have as well, as opposed to just this like myopic vision of like, okay, I clearly can only like these bands that are presented in front of me. Yeah. I love how Ani DeFranco has that song 31 flavors, you know, that, and that's what she is. Like, she's not, yeah. she's not just one thing and that's all that defines her. And as a kid, I couldn't, I didn't have the clairvoyance to say, yeah. this is what it is. But but you had, like I said, you had to pick sides. And I, was, and I wasn't able to because right. 
I was too influenced by great songs. And sure. that influenced me more than the culture at the time mm -hmm. of punk rock. And I remember being at the, at the Democratic Convention, seeing the Dead Kennedys play outside. Right. And I remember seeing like the riot police on their horses and, you know, feeling like, I guess, looking back, feeling like, man, I felt part of a movement, but the movement superseded the, the music to me. Of and, course. And saying something, speaking out against the wrongdoings of, of the government meant, meant more to me as I when as I was getting older. Right. Then, then the music did to a certain extent, which I think led a lot to my um, involvement with animal rights as I as I as I got older. Sure. But um, but it is it, it, it it's just and you are right. I, I see these bands now that are able to say I you know I like August Burns Red and Kesha. Right. And, yeah. And exactly. It's not like it's not like wait who's you're gonna get shot if you no. say that out loud. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I when I couldn't say that I loved. Staying as a kid, um, now it is very, very different. Totally, totally. And it's, it's, it's also funny that I think you, you, I mean, you said something right there where it's just like the obviously you feeling like you were part of a movement, and essentially what punk was at that time was a soundtrack to that movement, you know. And realistically, it's like now so many there's obviously so many different interests and so many different movements and everybody has their own soundtrack to that particular movement like of course it could come out of a culture um but you know each each person has defines their own rebellion by you know whatever music that they're listening to at that time whether or not it directly influences that so it's just it's it's funny you're saying it kind of superseded it where it's just like i want to be a part of this yeah but i also want to like different music <laughs> no absolutely but all the all those cultures that came out and even like I mean, any any kind of movement like I am, I will never be part mm -hmm. of it. Like I am definitely friends with Rhett Gurowitz and Tim Armstrong, right? Fat Mike. I'm definitely friends with these people, but I will never be that because as entrenched as those people were in the culture right. of punk rock historically for for all of their career. I just was never that and I will never be that. Right. And I remember being at Warped Tour after that article came out like in. 96 and I remember um, a couple guys as you know and I was you know I'd been selling shoes for so long and right I'd been, like doing my thing yeah I finally like wrote this song that connected with a lot of people here for in sure and I remember walking through the, through this tunnel at Warp Tour down in, in Irvine or wherever it was that year and yep just, and these guys are like you don't belong in our tour fucking sell out as I'm walking down I'm by myself and there's a group of them yelling at me yeah and I know who they were. I'm not going to fuck. It's just. Yeah, you're not going to out them. At the them, time, but... mm -hmm. I was like, I was so like hurt. I was so like, holy shit. Like I've worked. I, I mean, I work for $6 an hour and I've spent my whole life. Right. They say 10,000 hours, right? Before you can really be a master yep. of a trade. 10,000 hours. And at that point, between the Love Hogs family crisis um, rehearsals, I had put my 10,000 hours in from like 12 to when we got signed when I was like 26. Right. Um, and I just felt like, you know, where do I fit in it and who am I? Uh -huh. But now that I'm an adult, I know who I am and it's right. all good now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, you know, and, and I, and I try and I'm so grateful that I have the opportunity to talk to these kids that, you know, and you know, it's always a competition. There's never like really a community. There might be a tour of bands or like bros drinking buddies or whatever, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. always a competition. Of you course. There's an unspoken it. competition, even if you're friends. Like that's just that's just the way that the music yeah. industry is obviously built. Never want the opening band to outshine the headliner. No, if no you're way. A headliner, yeah, yeah. You know, they'll figure out some 
politically correct way to kick you off the tour eventually or like for sure create enough drama online or bullshit so yeah. it still happens and discover betmgm the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for non-stop action all winter long take the excitement of football basketball and hockey to the next level with same game parlays exclusive signature bets odds boost promos and much more Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. The Hyundai Santa Fe becomes available early 2024, so get on it now before all the good camping sites are full. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So like as because obviously as you know I wanted to hit on the you know you obviously like you know here in your bedroom like you were mentioning where it's like you since you had come from such obviously an independent music background and then obviously you know being put through the system so to speak um, and you were getting so many of these you know mixed messages from you know obviously you know the interest of the record label to the interest of obviously the way that you produced songs and the way that you wrote songs versus the community that was, you know, shunning you and obviously, you know, throwing a bunch of shit your direction. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, I mean, it sounds like you were obviously in the middle of like this, this, you know, growing up in sort of an identity crisis in a way within yourself where it was like, where do, where do I belong? Where do I go from here? Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Um, and look, as much as people on their, if you look at someone's iPhone, yep. I mean, they may have, you know, a Cradle of Filth and Katy Perry on the same yeah. iPhone. Right. They still want their bands to be part compartmentalizable of course yeah, yeah, yeah. they want to be able to say i'm working out here's my workout music i'm chilling out here's yep. my chill out music they don't want their artists they, they don't want sergeant peppers no audience kids non-musicians that are fans of music don't want that much of an eclectic variety right at all so it's it's definitely more it's been boiled down to this like you know as much as people won't aren't like picking sides you you can't really be as creative as much as you can, like you hear the Gautier song when I first heard, it, I go, "Wow, this is really amazing—the instrumentation and the, and the right. arrangement of the song." 
Um, but his album isn't that. And the album definitely did not succeed like the one song succeeded. Right. You know, where bands like Mumford or Coldplay, like the biggest bands in the world now that, that still sell millions of albums, right. start to finish, they sound like the same band. Same right. instrumentation, same yep. style of music. You know? Right, right, right. And kids, that's just what kids want. So it's it's interesting, the dichotomy of where we started from sure. to where we are, but yet we still haven't really like come to this place of like allowing artists to really go all the way, which is why I think people like Trent Reznor ultimately mm-hmm. to say, I'm going to, you know, I have to, you know, I have to get out and, you know, do be a composer in film or do something different than being locked inside a box of like their fans demanding. Cause my fans demand me to write Scott Punk. Yeah. No matter how I break it down, right. I've made a pop record. And it failed miserably. Like Disconnection Notice was our worst selling Song album. Record, it, didn't, sure. it didn't, wasn't like reggae or ska or punk at all. It was like a, Kind of a you know Foo Fighters police album. Sure, did sure. not connect with our audience who wants to hear ska punk. They right. want to recreate their vibe of being fourteen, smoking pot, playing <laughs> pro skater. <laughs> right, right. That's what yeah, they want. You for know? sure. And they for want to sure. come to the show and have that same energy that they did when they saw us in '96. And and look, you live and learn. And I want to win. I want to make. If I tour, I want to be successful tour. And of I want course. the fans to be happy. Right. I'm not out there to try and play a bunch of new songs that is completely off charts different yeah 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 yeah. but this is all stuff that only comes through experience and young bands still don't really get it you know sure. a lot of times they have a successful first album and they say well we have to grow as artists we want to be this is now who we want to be and yeah we want to play to a different audience we want to get this you know we want to capture a different fan base or whatever and they all say the same thing all the bands say the same thing they, totally they say um they all say we hate the kind of music other bands the kind of music we play they say we're not part of the scene we don't relate to but they have, they all, like most of those bands that I work with, they come from the Warp Tour Screamo thing. Of course. They sound like they're a Screamo band. Right, right, That's right. That's what they are. Yeah. But they say, you know, and they all say they don't like that sound. And it's like, and I said the same shit. It's not like I said I like the con- contemporary bands. Right. I mean, I never, I, I mean, I don't, I mean, I love No Doubt and I love Real Big Fish. It's not like I said I didn't, but I, whenever I talked about influences, it wasn't like bands well, yeah. in the air. It's always, oh, of course. Cool bands from the, Totally, totally. Before. Yeah, yeah. You obviously you you need to you know present yourself as a you know a, a musical scholar, and you can't just be like, oh yeah, like you know Goldfinger. Like we heard No Doubt, and we thought they were pretty cool, so we just decided to start this. Band. Yeah. It's like people would be like, what the fuck? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. this is terrible. It doesn't make sense, but it's so true these days, though. Yeah, it's so true. People don't play an instrument, and then they hear asking Alexandria, and yep. then they get a computer, and they just program it to sound like it, and that's what it is. But then yeah. But it's more so now that people don't like. I remember working with, and it's nothing against Attack Attack. When I was working no. with them, yeah, I was talking. I was like, I think I said like, I want to, I want like a John Bonham kind of break. He's like, who's you know, who's that? I'm like, like this like a Stuart Copeland thing. He's like, who's that? Oh, they really had right. Like no, like no frame of reference. They just didn't know, and it's right. nothing against them, but it's I think it's just um, culturally. Mm-hmm. We're just in such a different um, era now where it is so about now, right this second. Yep. You know, where they say that the Twitter imprint lasts five minutes, you know, when you tweet something that's about the average. Right, right. And I think that's kind of what it is culturally. People like think about the five minutes that's important, you know, and that's sure. what they learn. Right, right, right. And so like as you were um – you know, kind of going back to obviously like when, when things were, you know, just exploding for you. And like I said, like, you know, you were, it's so tough because it's like, you know, you were, you know, well, like you said, in your mid twenties and essentially, you know, you're still growing up at that time. Like you still have no concept of like, you know, you may have a little concept of who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. Um, so, you know, as you were kind of, you know, coming out of that, you know, 
insanely large record. Um, you know, did were the impressions generally positive? Like from your perspective of like, all right, like I was able to define myself a little bit better after this this journey, so to speak. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, I think things because in the first few shows that I saw, it was so new. No one really knew what to think of of punk rock, and right, and there was like. Daytime, I remember Fear played on some daytime. Oh, yeah, they played uh, SNL, right? No, no, it, they, maybe they did. I, I think they did, but whatever. I'm talking about like, like it was like a Maury Povich kind oh, of show. Oh, sure, sure, and, sure. And I remember like, <laughs> knowing about it and staying home, like like figuring out a way to see that. It was so exciting. I remember right. going to the midnight showing of Decline of Western Civilization at the movie theater. No one knew what the fuck it was. Right, right, right. And and so it was so it was so new, and so by the time that it came back again, when 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 Goldfinger was taken off ninety three, ninety four, ninety five, right? Um, like it was so like in stone that this is what it is. Like you know, mm-hmm. Fat Records and, and Epitaph was you know anti major label, anti radio. Right. It was like really, like it was it was the counterculture sure. at, at the time, and. I wanted to be on the radio and I I wanted to play in front of I wanted to play festivals where sure. I think the ideology of what a lot of those bands wanted was very different than what I wanted. And so and then so I had the battle with myself of like I want to fit in. I want people to like me. I want these bands. Yeah. Like when I was at Nana like I would literally stack eight bad religion CDs in this CD player and people that work with wouldn't know as they would go because they all sounded so similar. It'd be like one after the next, and I'd have like four hours of bad religion. Right. And I'm, you know, and this is like, you know, what's def- what's defining me in the in the you know kind of late '80s, early '90s, and and, and 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 getting me back into the music that shaped me, like the social distortions and the buzzcocks that helped sure. shape Goldfinger. What it was, it all kind of came together. Right. Um. And then when all those bands, not all of them. Right. And I felt like I was like shunned because I was on the radio and that's what I wanted. Right. I was still trying to figure out, you know, who I was. But then I started, you know, I started connecting with, you know, it's not like Sugar Ray were ever a punk band, but they, I mean, the Shrinky Dinks, his old band, of course. Yeah, used, yeah. To, used to um, open for my metal band, the Love Hogs, all the time. Right. And so I knew them. And so then they started having hits and then no doubt started becoming a commercially successful band. Then there right. was like kind of a different sect of bands that like i wanted to put myself align myself with sure sure that wanted that yeah you know and so the conversation started being different like how do we succeed how do we still become a great touring band and be on the radio right and have success across the board and play the major label system which i was still kind of at the time i had no no clue about totally just trying to figure it out as you go yeah and, and and still be I guess, um, credit, you know, um, true to myself, of course, right. My vision, which, which really was to be an amazing live band, mm-hmm. to play every show like it's our last and to have songs that people could, that will stick in people's minds, like hooks that will, won't go away. And that was right. sort of my unwritten agenda for my band. Yeah. 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 And, and I think, um, by our third record, I knew who we were by stomping ground. Sure. You know, it took, you know, I think the, the, there's a, Darren's Coconut Ass is our uh, right. covers record. And sure. I think that record helped me. It was the first record I had complete control of production and mixing and, okay. and the whole thing. The first record I co-produced, mm-hmm. didn't mix. Second record I produced and didn't mix. And then, and then this EP, which was all covers, I did everything. And then that helped me say, okay, I know how to control and manipulate my sound to make me sound like I want to as a singer. Right. And produce my band the way I wanted to. So by our... By, um, stomping ground i felt like we, were, we were who we were and right i was right, like right. 
I don't care anymore. Like the yeah. whole punk thing or like not being punk is like whatever. It's about music. Right, right. And that's it. Plus, it's like a lot of those arguments and conversations are just, I mean, they're moot points because it's like a lot of the, the people that shout the loudest, I find, in whatever it is that they're trying to shout for, um, especially when you're in your formative years, you know, they end up giving up two or three years after, you know, or they just fall out of the scene. They fall out of playing music. Like, you know, they, they basically turn away from everything that they obviously did as a teenager because they feel like, all right, well, I need to move on with my life. I, I need to like take that definitive next step where it's like, all right, you know, here's a, here's a signpost. I need to become an adult. I got to stop this kid shit. Um, whereas like, you know, people like you, it's just like, well, no, like that kid shit's my life. Like that's, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what you've always signed up to be and do. Yeah, man. And I, and it was like, I, I studied, I'm an Anglophile like any other musician in Los Angeles is, you know, and so I studied English culture and I remember thinking about the mods and the rockers and the Teddy Boys and the punks, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that was kind of their, those were, the, that was their gangs. Their sure. gangs were defined about music. Right, right. right. When I moved to LA, like, yeah. I, mean, I guess gangs were kind of def defined. I remember right when I moved here, NWA was like oh, yeah. blowing up. So it was definitely like music was part of the gang culture. Oh, of course. But thinking about like how important music was in England versus where I grew up was a, was a big deal sure. to me. And and I remember one of the albums my parents took away was um, this import Stray Cats album that I bought, you know, before they had, I think there was like Greatest Hits was their first American record. Oh, sure. Record. Right, 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 like right. White, white album with the three of them sideways. Um, I think it was called Runaway Boys, but it was like, Mm -hmm. I, I, and I remember just like cu like culturally and, and, and image wise, like I was um, I was I was influenced by the whole thing. Right. And I and I remember at the time when my parents took that album away from me, I was just thinking like, how is this? How is this really good? <laughs> right. Like, I mean, there, there's no profanity. They're not like talking about the government or right. authority. They're just like singing songs that sound like Elvis. Like, how is this? How, how is this going to just be like, you know, what's going to set my world on fire? Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, a lot of that stuff, like, just kind of combined for me, you know, at the time of just, like, being, like, just everything. Like, like the way they sang and, and, the, right. and the earnestness of the vocals and the production all influenced me. And, and I didn't really know until I started producing my own music how mm -hmm. influenced I was by the sound of those albums of those days. And I would, like, I remember, um, I love the Avengers, which was a um, San Francisco sure. band, or maybe Berkeley, I think. Yeah. They were a late 70s punk band. Mm -hmm. I love them, but... There was a, I think it was rap music for rap people was the, the punk compilation that I had. I think it was volume two. Sure. They had the song Cheap Tragedies on it. That the version on the um, on the uh, compilation was uh -huh. way better than the version on their album. Sure, sure. And that kind of shit, like I don't think my friends it wouldn't put even together. Think about. Sure, sure. You know, it was just the same song, but the recorded version I liked better. Even Pay to Come. I think it was on the same album, the Bad Brain song. Yep. Um, I thought it sounded much better on the compilation than it did on the uh, on the album, and it's just like things like that stuck. Started to perk up your ears, where you're just like, "There's a difference here," and I want to know why there's a difference here. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so when you know, obviously, in kind of you know dealing with everything that you were dealing with once you you know once you started to become successful, like when did your did your parents have any grasp on what you were doing? Um, like, at, at what juncture were they kind of like, oh, like that's pretty neat what John's doing? <laughs> or are they still are they still at that point? You know, my, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I, I guess it, it would be one. I mean, like anyone says, I don't have any regrets. It's full of shit. I mean, everyone has moments in of their course. life that, would, that they wish that they could probably do better. And sure, of be course, improve more on adult. Totally, you know what I mean? totally. Looking, looking back in hindsight, and you know, I wish I would have, 
I wish I would have resolved stuff with my dad before he died. I mean, for yep. sure. My dad, I just think that his pride and his ego never really allowed him to good job. To like relish in because, the success. That you I mean, he was, you know, and, and I say he did the best he could. I mean, with a man in a wheelchair that clearly had a fucking impossible physical life that you know was a stoic man right um that but as a teenager told me you will never succeed in music yeah ever ever you, like right at me you will never do this right um for him to say that and be so own that statement yep. and then have and watch him be wrong i think was as hard i think that was it was easier for him just to say i'm not going to acknowledge the fact that my son's successful right then it would be to say i was wrong Mm -hmm. I think in the end for him. Sure, sure. And 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 I think there's part of it, and, and and this is like, I guess, just as we go forward in life. Yep. When my dad did die, mm -hmm. I feel like there's part of my drive that died with him, like of having to prove him wrong and to say, oh, of course, that you know you had this idea for me that I was not built to do as right. being a you know an engineer or some sort of scientist. Yeah, yeah. And and then. Proving him wrong and keeping to prove him wrong throughout the years was, a, a, I'm sure, a driving force. And it's not like I'm still not driven to be creative and driven to be successful, but it's just a different way now. Right. Well, there's a, there's a different inspiration behind it because, yeah, mm -hmm. totally. I mean, you see so much of what people, especially you know, people in independent artistic culture. It's like a lot of it is obviously derived from the fact that you know people people whether it's parents, whether it's society, whatever, they're just like you can't do that, you shouldn't do that, um, and it it. it and then obviously once that, you know, once that goes away, you have to derive inspiration from other places. And that's just obviously, like you said, part of, you know, growing up and the human experience and everything. Um, two more things I want to hit on before we wrap things up where, because um, obviously you've, I mean, you've recorded, produced, mixed so many different bands. And obviously like the writing process, like, you know, when you sit down, when a band is like, we would love John Feldman to write with us and help create music. Um, and you've worked with obviously so many different artists from that perspective, just sonically speaking. Um, is it one of those things where it's just like, you know, you, you obviously, I imagine just approach each individual artist or band pretty much the same way that you would write your own material in regards to just like, I want to make this as catchy and as accessible as possible. Or do you kind of find, try and find yourself putting on like different hats for different people? I mean, uh, it's both. I definitely put on okay. different hats for different people, and sure. and, I, and I and I definitely try and like start a session out with a um, with an open mind of, yeah. of how it's going to be, and, and try and and if there's a one or two main writers, just try and kind of you know see where where are they coming from, who right. are they, like where where are they, what are their influences, like what are they what's what are they going through right now, like what's going to feel authentic for them to uh, yeah because that I mean because that process like I mean I've had I've had so many different friends that have been involved in the music industry that, you know, it, no matter what, that's awkward where you're just like, all right, we're putting two people that don't know each other in a room and like, all right, create a song. Like you have to, there is that process, like what you're talking about where it's like, all right, we got to get to know, know each other for a little bit in order to make sure that we're creating appropriate art. Like you said, coming from a genuine place, not just like, all right, dude, let's pump out this, let's pump out this hit, bro. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure some people approach it like that, but I mean, it's it sort of everyone's, everyone, kind of comes in here when it's just a songwriting session thinking that like we got to pump out a hit i mean everyone's kind of prepped sure these days because they've by the time they get to me they've usually gone through 10 or 20 different co-write 
co-writing situations and so sure. they kind of know what to expect and they know the label still doesn't think they have the hit so they're, right. they're hoping that I can help pull it out of them or give it to them you know sure sure pretty much one of those two things and so when they come to me it really is about that but the process every artist is different mm -hmm. sometimes there's a limited time like I've got a second session starts at six so we got to be out of here like and so I know that okay I've got to come up you know typically I'll write a chorus first or a concept first or a hook first right and we'll build the song around it is typically and lately I've been trying to write lyrics first and ideas first and music it. music's pretty simple these days I mean Mm -hmm. Pretty much anyone that's a musician could kind of come up with the same four chords that you can write any number of melodies around. Sure. And that stuff comes quick, but the, the lyrics are the hardest. So I, that, that's why lately, last year, I've been really trying to hang out with the artists and get to know them and kind of talk about ideas. And I'll be kind of sketching stuff out as they're yeah, writing yeah, yeah. different ideas and when they're telling stories and maybe something they'll say will just kind of strike it, strike me as a, as a hook or a, a right. chorus idea. Sure. And um, it's, it's, you know, but it's always evolving and it's always changing. And the creative pool that you kind of pull from, like mm -hmm. I've got, I mean, I, like I have my influence. I do, like we talked about. Yep. And, I, and now I'm so grateful that I had so, because, you know, we have our, our form, formative years, right? Of, of like course. 12 till 25, where yep. really that's the music that, that defines. That's the bedrock. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, like. I can't play any, like, I'm working with this band Blitz Kids right now, and they're all, like, in their early 20s. I, I could never play them Jealous again and have them go, this is amazing. They'd be like, this fucking sucks. It this sounds is... like shit, and it's horrible music is what they would say. Right. But to me, it's oh. the greatest, it's the most angry music of all time. There's no fucking new metal that's going to be better than right. Jealous again. <laughs> totally, and totally. It, you know, and so by saying that, I'm so grateful that I have Jealous again, and I have Wham's first album as real influences to me as far as like so i have a lot more to pull from than someone say that was you know the fucking um you know that that music nazi that's like only this is all you can listen to this style of music yeah, yeah. now if they're trying to write with other people where do they pull from but that being said as i get older i still it is still a limited pool of real influence i, I can listen to groups now and i and i i listen to you know alternative nation on satellite every sure. day and i and so, I mean, I know what I like still, and I know what I don't like still. I like, I love of Monsters of Man and right. stuff I don't like. Right. That being said, it's not going to influence me the same way. New music isn't going to, like, even the Gautier song that I think is brilliant. Right. Won't influence me the same way the police did. Oh, yeah, no for chance. sure. No, no, no. And so I like doing co-writes because their influences, if I take my influence and say this is what i would do and here's my melody and here's my music and then they take it and make it their own then it becomes something new right yeah then it's coming from an original like you said genuine place as opposed to something where it's just like all right this is legitimately a business relationship and you know we're we, we're gonna not care about each other in 10 minutes after we yeah because that's because obviously from from that point on it's like they'll have a more um, you know, holistic experience when it comes to obviously like, you know, playing in a band and actually create the creative process as opposed to like feeling like, all right, I'm just showing up to work here, you know? Of course. <laughs> yeah. And the last thing I kind of wanted to hit on because we, we spoke about it a little bit earlier is obviously, um, did you see that documentary, uh, the other F word? That, yes. Uh, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Um, and I mean, I myself, since I'm a new father and like have been brought up in a similar scene to obviously what you have, um, the, you know, just the concept of obviously, retaining the idea of like okay i've essentially been you know counterculture in a lot of the ways that i have lived my life you know from obviously like your diet your you know cultural upbringing and like 
it's not similar to what our parents had been brought up with. Um, and so like, how, how is all that sitting with you, obviously, as you're, you know, you're growing up fathering children and everything like that? Well, I mean, I had a really, you know, Jim from Pennywise asked me to be in the movie um, when, yep. when we did Reading and Leeds together, I guess that must have been five years ago now. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I'm like, sure, I give him my number. I'm like, cool. And, and, and I remember, so my reaction when I first saw him was like, why wasn't I in this movie? And it brought up all that, all that shit sure. in the, um, Kuma had to enter the room. Of course, that's completely fine. Come on, Kuma. Um, <laughs> she take over the yeah, she's like, I'm going to go ahead and take over this seat. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of brought up like, am I, you know, even now, even at 45, I'm still not like fucking punk enough to be in this, which is, which is funny that my brain would still go there. But the <laughs> I fucking, love that you're just like, oh, I, I, I clearly I didn't make the cut. Yeah, but but art from Everclear is punk. And that, that's what I was thinking. Like uh, that, dude. That was I. After watching that, that's what I was like. Uh, that seems strange because like I, I think I have a better understanding of Everclear's musical history, and that doesn't really connect too much with the rest of the stuff. But whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I'm a dad. Right. I'm definitely a dad. And, and I mean, and, essentially, I because everybody, you know, obviously everybody always, uh, everybody within my, um, you know, age range, like, you know, they don't, they don't have kids. Like, that's just, uh, most people, it's like, you know, around 30-ish, they kind of seem to have a kid or whatever. Uh -huh. But, so, I essentially, I look at my life where it's just like, I've been doing the same shit since I was like 15 years old. Like, you know, music-ish type stuff. Um, and so, reconciling the idea of having a kid with essentially... I'm, I'm involved in youth and pop culture and like that's always going to be the case moving forward and essentially you're the same way yeah. where you know you're you're having to be as aware of all the new bands and all the new trends and it's like I, I was i was in my my daughter's four she's at preschool and i'm out of class and the teacher's like oh your daughter's got a boyfriend and like joke just just like joking about like that she has this this, this like she's best friends with this girl but she's sure. a friend that's a guy and they're like, you know, super like, you know, it's just like buddy, 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 yeah, buddy, yeah. You know, and, and she's taking a picture and like resting her head on her shoulder. And it's like, and she says it. And it's like, I, I want to like pull my kid out of the school that day, like that day. Just, yeah, it's not even that, about that gut reaction. It's not even about, I don't think it's about me just saying, um, I don't ever want to see my daughter date because I mean, right. I know that's, that's part of the, 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 the picture, but, right. but just the idea that that's even like a joke in front of her, like. Like, let's let our fucking kids be, be kids. kids. Right. And, like, there will be a time where I will not be sleeping for weeks and weeks when, you know, I'm sure she's super cute now. Right. Her mom's super hot. There's going to be things right. that will happen in high of school course. or whenever that happens, you know, right. that I will have to deal with. But, like, even the idea in her head that, like, oh, it's cute or it gets a laugh or it's funny that, like, you should have, like, a boyfriend at four years old is just fucking rude it is you know yeah, yeah. and um and so yeah i mean look so many things and this whole circle of fucking how you are as a kid and fuck you mom fuck you dad and, right. and now you're the mom and you're the dad and you're going how the hell did my parents do this sure like i just it's it is so hard man yeah it is so fucking hard and it's not like because you know i'm old enough that it was really like we were just talking about like the idea of even like that, I so we saw the um after the Lincoln movie. Oh sure. And you know, there are arguably people still alive. If the oldest person died at like 121 or something, there's arguably still people alive when people owned people in America. Yep. Like when that happened. Yeah, yeah. And like 
we, you know, so my parents didn't talk about shit. And that's just everybody culture. You watch Mad Men and it's sort of like, of you get these glimpses of what it was like culture. You just, you cannot relate if you're a kid thinking about the idea that no one talked about anything. Right. And so I never heard like the stresses. I mean, it's, it wouldn't have been appropriate for my parents to talk to me about the stresses of great, you know, making a living. But right. nonetheless, like you never heard shit. So you're just growing up and, and then the eighties and everything was probably was pretty good. And things were right. good overall. And now that you're like, you're really dealing with it. Like my kids don't give a shit about the recession or economy <laughs> right, or right, right. hurricane or anything. Yeah. They, my, they're too young to understand skid row. Right. You know, or, or, or anything or Burma or anything that really exists in the world. You right. Know? Right. And so um, it's my duty to say, you know, at some point, this is life, real life for the other 99%, the other, how the other, how most of the world lives right. at some point, but now is not the time, but like how to deal with like bands that want to work till 4am and then my kids get up at six and I want to, I want to take my son to school every day. Right. I want to, I want to be there every second because there will come a time my son will not cuddle with me right. in bed. It just, there'll come a time where that will not happen. I want every second. I want to suck right. every second out of that, like kissing my son on the lips. There yep. will come a time. He will, he will not, not want do to do that. that for sure. And I want every moment. So, so every night I go to bed after I work till midnight or one, and I go, God, tonight I'm going to let myself sleep for seven hours. And then it's six o'clock, and I hear my kids, and I'm like, I gotta see my kids. And I'm miserably grump, grumpy, and I'm I'm, I'm grumpy with my wife, but right. with my kids, I'm super stoked. And I take my kid to school, and we right. talk about Skylanders and Star Wars and math and English and everything on you know and the sun and snails and solar sure. flares and, and everything and it's the best thing ever. Right. And and then I think about my you know my dad who's dead and and, and like there's certainly a like we talked about regret earlier like yep. I wish yeah I wish you could have lived for uh, for it to come all the way around for right. me for me to really because when I had my 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 kids he was here he had met my daughter right been alive for about a year you know he died when she was about one okay so alive enough for me to, to know holy shit i get have a glimpse of how hard this is going to be totally. but now that it's like you know he's got adhd he's kicked out of his private school he's got to go to a different school and he's fine and it's all good and, right and it's but yeah like i mean you're, you're dealing with you're dealing with life you're dealing real with, right real shit real shit when i talk to the guys in my band who were like you know, they fucking bring up this stuff about like a fifteen dollar fucking um, dry cleaning bill, and I want to fucking I, I literally yeah yeah like I'm fucking done. Fuck you all, and fuck this whole thing. Right. You have no clue what it's like to wake up at three in the morning every day for two weeks when your son has croup, and you think your son's gonna die, and you're driving to the hospital, and they're fucking injecting with steroids right. so we can breathe, like real life yeah totally shit. totally you know and so like i was talking about earlier when i've kind of i've kind of relieved myself of the pressure of being this perfect vegan perfect animal rights guy and i've kind of seen my world from a different lens yep. i've been able to do that i think a lot because of being a father and because of having kids yeah and as hard as it is i've able been able to not take life so seriously to a certain extent of course because i really don't have control man about mm -hmm. over anything sure over anything no i have control over my attitude and that's it yeah you have control of the way that you react to at things as they get presented to you that's that's the only control that you have nothing else man I mean, yeah we're talking about the, the, the hurricane that we're like oh this friend of mine has earthquake insurance and he's like well if we had an 8.0 i'm like dude if we had an 8.0 he's like referring to an 8.0 
right and and the hurricane and it's and it's horrible as hurricane sandy is of course um and my prayers and thoughts clearly go out to all my east coast friends it's, of course it's still like you've got preparation time it's a yep. whole kind of you know different um different mindset and then yeah. and the, the truth is that like we cannot control when a drunk driver may or may not hit us or the earthquake may or may not happen or, or yep. a, a meteor anything that life could, could bring us and all we could do is be the best we can be right now totally I, I don't think that there's a better place to leave it off than right there. <laughs> that, was, that was a very nice, nice tied up together. But they, I really appreciate it, John. This is awesome. Yeah. I, was, I was looking forward to this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just knew you'd have some very valuable perspectives to share. <laughs> well, thank you, people. All right. Well, uh, that was John Feldman from Goldfinger. And upon listening to that interview again and kind of editing it, um, it might be my favorite interview that I've done so far. Uh, he just is so real and so honest, and um, yeah, his perspective is really cool, and I just uh, appreciate it on so many different levels. So I hope you enjoyed it. Subscribe to the show, visit propertyofzack.com, and uh, come hang out with us next week. Another awesome interview. More interesting guests, interesting perspectives, stuff for you to put in your head, chew it up, spit it out, recycle it understand the world around you a little bit better so anyways until next week be safe The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.